A reading from the Gospel of John 3. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. He did not come to condemn. Man, if that's not good news, I don't know what is. Say with me, he didn't come to condemn. That rips the rug out from about two-thirds of the gospel that's preached around the world. He didn't come to condemn. He didn't come to separate. He, he came to reunite us, right? He came to rejoin us, to, to bring us back, to pull us up out of that fallen, false self, back into the true self, that self that is one with God. He, he, he said, I sent my son to reveal my love. I sent my son so that you would know how deeply I loved you and that if you believed that I loved you, you, you would rejoin, be saved, come into a state of wholeness with me. I, if I have any message to tell you is that God loves you. He loves you so much that he would strip himself naked, hang on a cross, and announce to the men that were murdering him, I forgive you. If he could announce to the men that were murdering him, I forgive you, how much could he forgive you today of being as silly and as stupid as you are? Say with me, I'm forgiven. Not because you think so, not because I've changed my behavior, not because of anything I did or didn't do, but because he said, I am his beloved, his redeemed, that, that he has called me into his presence. See, that's the gospel of the church. We have focused on the machinations, the methods of the church for so long, we have forgotten the message. God loves you, loves you without condition loves you irrevocably he'll never change he'll never stop he comes from heaven to earth to make that known to you i love what jesus says to nicodemus there when he says if i can't even talk to you about earthly things how can i talk to you about other things if I can't even talk to you about the things that you understand here, how could I ever explain to you things that are beyond the visible sight, sound, and touch? That, that has an underlying meaning to it that I want to. There's an underlying thing there that says, I want to tell you about stuff more than this. I have mysteries and wisdoms and things that are beyond your mental comprehension that I want to reveal to you, not by flesh and blood, but by spirit. There's stuff I'd like to let you in on, and you're still stuck on this stuff. How many people you know that are stuck on stuff and they don't get... God wants us to get unstuck by the stuff and begin to hear him talk about heavenly things that are bigger and grander than we are. 
He really wants to reveal secrets to us, make known to us, not talk to us about the the effects of things, but go a little deeper. Can I go a little deeper this morning? Can I go a little further than what the religion of our world wants us to understand? Go a little further than what is separating and dividing us into the realities of what are supposed to unite us. I I am in love with King David. I I just, you know, the King David, the the son of David is Jesus. But the king, the pattern, the the forerunner, the, the, the warrior shepherd that brought the presence of God into the city of Jerusalem. I love that. I love the story in 2 Samuel chapter 6 where the Bible says he went down to Obed-Edom's house to recover the ark, this piece of furniture that was the, 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 the lounge, if you will, the recliner, the lazy boy of God. He, he went down to recover that box that was covered with gold in and out, that one that had cherub over them where the blue flame of God set down and was in the veil behind that curtain and right there and he went down to get that ark that was carried into the waters of the Jordan and the Jordan the ark that was carried into battle in the Philistines he went down he said I listen I've killed the lion and the bear and I've killed Goliath and now I'm sitting in the city of Jerusalem and I gotta have the presence of God I gotta have that box that God sits on I I don't want to be here by myself I didn't just come into this victory now to sit here and soak in the successes of my life I gotta have the God that would empowered me to kill the lion and the bear You see, if you ever crawl out from under a lion, the first thing that'll hit you is, I didn't do that. (laughs) If you ever push a bear off of you and you realize you survived, the first thing you'll do is go, I didn't do that. If you ever pull the head off of a 12-foot giant and swing it around by the hair because you threw a piece of gravel at his head, you'll go, I didn't do that. By myself. Someone, something greater than I empowered me to do stuff that I could not have done on my own. I didn't get to Jerusalem by my own strength. I came into Jerusalem because of the strength of another. And David woke up one day and said, I got to have that one. I want that one. I I want the presence of God. I'm going to tell you, the American church has settled for programs and productions for cool lights and latte machines. That they've settled for church growth techniques to put butts in the seats, but they got no presence in their hearts. I'm telling you, I got the degree, Jesse, and it meant nothing. Uh, We should have taken marketing degrees. Because I'm telling you, people are dying and going to hell, sitting in sanctuaries that are beautiful, but there is nothing in their heart. (laughs) We we need to get a hunger for the presence of God. And when I think about the hunger of the presence of God, I think about David. 
Uh, Think about this David that contrary to everybody else said, I'm going down there to that house and I'm going to get that box that God sits on and I'm going to bring that box. He he had told Moses in Exodus 25, I will meet you on the mercy seat. I'll talk to you. I'll live there. I'll be resident there. You You can walk in behind that veil and talk to me face to face as a man talks to a friend, Moses. And David said, I want to talk to him face to face. I, I don't need Facebook. I need flesh to flesh. I need that God to step into my life this morning and touch those things that I've been unable to touch. I need him. I never know what I'm going to say until I say it. And I never know I'm done until I'm done. And I never know I'm done until I'm finished. And I never quite know I'm finished until I'm through. And when I get through, I'll let you know. <laughs> and, 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 and so he, he went down there to, to get the presence of God. Because in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. In his presence there is safety. In his presence there is gladness. In his presence there is refreshing. When he is present, the enemy falls back. In his presence, the enemy has to flee. If I could just have his presence, I might not have to have this drink or snort this powder or sleep with that person. I might not need to go in debt and buy this or go there. I might be a full human being if I could be in the presence of the living God. I might not need people to correct my behavior if I knew I belonged in his... The church should shut up about behavior and welcome people into his presence. I love it. David goes down there and, and, and he picks up this box and he's going to bring that box back. And he, so he puts it on this cart and he starts pulling the presence of God back on this little cart. And Uzziah, Abinadab's son, the cart, the ark had been in Abinadab's house for about 20 years. Then he gets to Obed-Edom, but Uzziah is there. And, and the Bible says that the box begin to fall, begin to fall, begin to shake. And Uzziah reached out and touched it and he died. Let me tell you about the presence of God. Most people don't know how to handle it. They don't know when to be still. I've been around Pentecostals. I grew up with you. You will interrupt a perfectly good service. Because you got something to say. You don't know when to join in or stand out. I love all of you. But some of you got no manners. You reach out and you touch the thing at the wrong time. There's a reason I'm standing here. And you're not. So as we move into revival, can I tell you, we need manners. You need to not be jumping over, touching somebody and pushing somebody. You need manners. Because if you don't have any manners, others will die. And he died. And you know why? Because he was too common. He became too familiar. Forgot that God has to be reverenced. That he's holy. 
that he's high and that he's lifted up. And there's a way to handle the presence of God and a way not to handle the presence of God. And the Bible says he didn't do it after the due order, that there's an order to it. There's, there's, there, there's a way and a way not to. And I love David. He wasn't, he wasn't put off by that. He, he went back into history and began to check the history to find out how it's been done everywhere since the beginning. He began to ask some questions of the scribes and the Pharisees. He began to ask some questions about how are we supposed to handle. See, we never quite go far enough back. We want it new, contemporary. We don't want the history of the faith. We, we don't want to know how to handle the presence of God. We had a thought from the taco that we ate last night. Not... <laughs> but the Bible says that David was a man after the heart of God. And he writes in his psalm. He says, one thing I have desired and that will I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And that I would inquire of the Lord in his temple. We need a few more people that are willing to inquire. Of the Lord, not of Meemaw, not of CNN, not of your denomination, and not of your preference or your prejudice, but who would inquire of the Lord, what do you want, Lord? See, we build services for people. Oh, you didn't get that. Well, this service wasn't built for you, sweetie. I didn't inquire and ask you, what song do you want to sing? How long would you like to sing it? When would you like to leave? Now, when you inquire of the Lord, because this is his house, his temple, this is for him, not for you. See, we're not, you're not customers of the father's house. You're supposed to be consumers of his presence. You're supposed... You're supposed to be consumed by God. You're supposed to want his presence more than having your little fix. See, we're not going to have change in our world until we have people who want his presence more. Until we make his presence our priority, that it's our priority to have his presence here this morning. That it's our priority to have his residence, his abiding, his habitation, his, his tangible reality. That, see, we want him to fit into our time frame. We want him to fit into and answer our concerns. We, we want to mold him into, we, we, we want him to fit into, uh, please don't embarrass us. And the crazy thing is, if you read the thing called the Bible, you'll find out that he shows up and he stays too long. He shakes too hard and he shouts too loud. I mean, the mountain will shake and the thunder will roll and he'll be embarrassing. And have you ever been on a mountain when lightning was striking? It's uncomfortable. I mean, how can I talk to you about spiritual things when you're uncomfortable with the things of the spirit. I mean, when God shows up, he'll blow your mind. When God shows up, how dare that he drop an idea into your head that you didn't think of on your own. Oh, well, I got to back up. 
I'll get over into that charismatic stuff. See, we want God to be dignified. We want God to have some dignity to himself. And so, (laughs) we want him to be relevant. I took a preaching class last year. Took this hermeneutic class. How to, I failed. I got a D minus. You know what a D minus is? It's right above fail. And and, and they they told me you're not relevant enough. (laughs) And I'm, I'm reading this report from this professor and he goes, you're not relevant enough. I wrote him back, yeah, if you try to be relevant, you're going to become irreverent. And I'd rather be irrelevant than irreverent. I'm not teaching to be relevant to you. I'm teaching to bring you into the knowledge of the reverence of the holy, holy God of power, God of might. I'm teaching you to be aware that there is a God that will come into your life. And when he comes into your life, he'll rearrange. Seeker sensitive. (laughs) (laughs) We're seeker sensitive, but we ain't got spirit nowhere. He's just being snarky this morning. (laughs) Yeah, I am. David, this man after God's heart, this man that God brought from the pasture to the palace only to discover that the palace is a lonely place without his presence. This David who came from the pasture to the palace made up his mind that he was going after the presence and to bring him into the palace. So he inquired of the Lord. He inquired and he discovered that without the presence of God, there was nothing and that God's presence only lived in praise. That God's presence is never unveiled in anything but praise. That praise is what makes God comfortable. It's what makes God I love what Paul writes to the Romans. He said, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor did they give thanks to him. Though they knew God, they never praised and they never worshipped. Though they knew God, they never stopped to say thank you. They never stopped, and the word there is Eucharisto, they never stopped to thank him for what he is and what he does. You know how many Christians are never thankful? You know how many Christians that their world is not geared around gratitude and thanksgiving? And David began to realize God only lives in the midst of worship, that God is seeking after three kinds of people, the lost, the intercessors, and the worshipers. Which one are you this morning? God is seeking people that are lost. He is seeking people that will intercede for others. And he is seeking those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. You were designed to worship. You will be fulfilled in worship. You will find your satisfaction in worship. There are many people that are trying to do stuff for God. And God's saying, I've already done it for you. Will you just worship me for who I am and for what I've done? Worship will shape and define your existence. Without worship, you will suffer. I'm not saying saying you won't suffer in worship, but you'll be able to endure the suffering in the midst of a life that worships God for the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent. You are designed to be a people of praise. You were designed to live in that gratitude of this one that gives you breath and gives you life. 
God has to be the center. Christ has to be the center. We have to be focused and prepared to give him our attention. And we have to recognize that we can't be common or casual. We can't reach out and we can't try to calm. We have to understand that this longing for God has to be ventilated by a movement. And that we cannot delegate our calling to praise and worship to an ox. You can't delegate your responsibility to the praise and worship God to the people standing on the stage. You cannot delegate your responsibility to lift your voices and your hands to the Lord to the pastor. You cannot delegate your responsibility to give thanks to the priest. You cannot delegate responsibility for your own voice to someone else. The minute you begin to delegate your role as a worshiper, you will lose the connection to the God that longs to work in your life. You have to take responsibility for reaching for the presence of God. The scriptures speak of three different arcs. It talks about Noah built an ark for his family covered it with pitch on the outside and pitch on the inside and if he got inside the thing the souls were preserved Noah collaborated with God he had this foolish faith to believe that he needed a boat when it had never rained it never rained let alone flooded and he prepared say prepared and he understood that he was saved by the ark and not by himself and then the second ark in scripture is the one that that she built and put her baby in. She covered it with pitch and, and put the baby in it and put that baby in that river. And Moses went floating down that river. And he was saved, not because of what he did, but because of what someone else did and placed him inside of a... You do understand God wants to put you into something. And he wants to save you. He wants to preserve you, and he wants to sustain you, and he wants to put you in something. How many of you are in Christ? Because God wants to put you in himself, and he wants you, not because of who you are, but because he loves you, he wants to put you into his body, into his church. The church is not an institution. The church is not what you think it is. The church is the body of Christ. It's his family. It's this. It's our relationships together. It's not a doctrine or denomination. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a structure. And it's an ark. And you're in there and you're preserved and saved. And floods come and go. And storms come and go. And viruses come and go. But you're in Christ. And that ark that contained the, the tablets of Moses and contained the bread that fell in the desert and contained the rod of Aaron. It contained those things and God sit on top of that. And you met with him there in this place made of acacia wood and gold and cherubim. God has always created the symbolism and the shadows and the types to recognize that God was preserving his people. David said, I got to have that. I got to have that. But I didn't do it right the first time. I didn't. So I'll, I'll, I'll ask history. How do you carry the presence of God 
into your own house? How do you, how do you create a place, room, for the omnipresent, invisible God to be presence and manifest? How, how? See, we don't ask that question in the 21st century church. In fact, we go back to history and we study some of this, but we don't go far enough back. We go back and I, listen, I've done it. I live my life. I lead this thing. We go back and we study that. But let's go a little further back. Let's go back to the origins of that. That is kind of mediated down because we, we don't want to kill a goat no more. But how, how did David bring? What's older than that? What, what is older than that. And David consulted. He went and asked the sages, how do you create an atmosphere to transport the presence of God from Obed-Edom's house down there into this? And the Bible says, anybody know what the Bible is? The B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. The Bible says that he arranged singers Say singers. Singers. Hmm. Singers. Say singers. Touch your neighbor and say, he'll perfect it. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Even if you sing off key, he'll use your off key voice and he'll protect the sound that comes out of your mouth. Your neighbor in front of you has been praying for it and now I'm praying for you and it'll get better. (laughs) I love Katie. The other day she told me you need to sit on this side of the church because if you get Shelby behind her and Kelly behind her, you sound pretty good. And I think that's true. I have sounded pretty good for 35 years, but I got, you know, I got this backup band and I never can hear myself. I just, never mind. He got singers, say singers. And then he got 120 trumpeters. Boy, now all the Baptists are getting nervous because this is going to get loud and this is going to get long. How do you bring the presence of God into your life? Well, it begins with a bunch of singers and a bunch of musicians. Listen, praise and worship is not the preliminary to the preaching. It's the way we start. You got to be able to open up your own mouth and sing. You got to be able to join the choir of the angels and the archangels that sing holy, holy, holy. And then he got these, these priests, not a goat, not an ox, but he got priest out of, and he took six of them, and he had them lift up that box, say heavy, heavy box. If you read rabbinically, you'll discover that that priest would stand there and hold that box until they killed another bull, and the blood splattered everywhere, and then you couldn't carry the box except to the length of the blood, and then you had to stop, and they would start killing another bull. According to rabbinical tradition, these six priests held that box in this blood. And then when they moved to this blood, they got relieved by another six priests because the box got heavy. It takes a community to bring the presence of God. It ain't going to just happen because I do something and you do something. It's going to take all of us whose lives are separated and sanctified, called out and called apart, who will in the midst of praise and worship stand there and hold the presence of God while blood is shed again because he can't move outside of the blood. In other words, it's going to cost somebody something to get there. And it's not going to be your blood. For God so loved the world that he gave Some of you think I've lost my place. 
Whose blood would be shed ultimately? The blood of Christ. And though it's the blood of Christ that's shed, he expects you and I to carry his presence on our shoulders and open our mouths. Are you listening to me? Different scholars say different things. Seven miles, 14 miles, but a long way. Lots of bulls. Lots of blood. Lots of songs. I bet the praise and worship leader's going, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. When we sang that one, sing it again. Sing it again. (laughs) I don't know. You think he went? Singing. Shouting. Shouldering the presence of God. Remembering the sacrifice that's made. Seven to 14 miles. And the Bible says he hit the edge of the city. And Psalm 24 says he shouted, Open up ye gates and let the king of glory in. I've arrived with somebody else. And the Bible says he stripped off his stuff. And then he began to dance. And now the Presbyterians are going, holy crap. (laughs) And he began to spin and dance. And his wife goes, says she despised him. If you keep reading, David says, I will become more undignified than this. Did you know you're never going to save your dignity and find the deity of God? You're never going to save your face and find his face. You're never going to preserve your dignity and have his presence. You listen to me. There is a way that God makes himself manifest and you got to inquire a little older to find it. You got to go back to the beginning. We were created to worship. We were created to let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We were created to enter in with thanksgiving and praise. We were created to shout. We were created to dance and to sing. We were created for that. That's our purpose. That's our calling. And David began to twirl and twirl and twirl. Do you know the only bone I've ever broke was the bone I broke right there dancing? I was silly enough to take my shoes off one Sunday morning and jumped up and twirled and came down and broke my foot and finished the service. You were probably here. I hear people give lip service to wanting the presence of God. I hear them give lip service. I've spent the last 18 years recovering the presence of God that's found and represented in this cup and in this bread. And I understand that I am not going to kill a bull. 
but that he told me that as often as I come together to break the bread and pour the wine and that the presence of God is found in the remembering of his sacrifice and that the way I remember his sacrifice is in this meal that I have that celebrates the Passover meal. But if we go further back, it has to be surrounded with praise and worship and shouts of victory. It has to be surrounded with an undignified expression of our praise. Let me tell you what my peers sometimes do. They elevate this dignity of this and they forget that it is supposed to be surrounded with singing and shouting and dancing. And they substitute simply the form for the power of the God that is found within the form. I am a convergent person. It takes it all. Are you listening to me? It takes every bit of it. We are not just this or this or this. We want the singing and the dancing and the shouting. We want the signs and the wonders. And we want to do it around the sacrifice of the blood of the Lamb. Hmm. I'm waiting for this place to become so hungry that they don't care. They just don't care what other people think. And I have come to the place where you can't call me charismatic because I'm the bishop of an Anglican communion. But you can't call me Anglican because I'm a crazy Pentecostal when I come home. You can't call me Baptist because when I preach, I do want the power of God to fall. But you can't. See, I need you to understand something. That if you want the presence of God, you can't limit it to this. Or this. Or this. No can you stand like arrogant Americans outside of the church and think that you can do it on your own? The presence of God is found within the community of worshiping people. And the other danger in America is that I'll do it my way. Frankie is dead. You'll get it in a minute. This is not about the celebration of the institution, nor is it a celebration of the individual, nor is it a worship of the intellect. It is made for simple people that simply want the presence of God in their lives. And when you begin to inquire, you'll find out this is what God wants. He wants me to abandon myself as a child. It's interesting. Children. Let's take them over there. Let's take the teenagers over there. Let's take the old people over there. Let's take the young people over there. And let's target our audience. Are we looking for 40 and under? Are we looking for... Huh. Let me just tell you. My target audience are pagans. My target audience are sinners. My target audience... Thank you. Cat uh, is broken people. That's my target, is people that are desperate for the presence of God to the place that they'll lose their dignity. Can I tell you something? The church need, the world needs a church that will worship without the consideration of her dignity. The world needs the body of Christ to want the authentic, the real and not let it be substituted by anything other than the desire of God. What you're hungering for 
is the raw presence of God. And can I tell you, he will meet us in a place of mercy, not of criticism. He comes not in a place where he's despised, not in a place where others are criticized, but he comes into a space that's filled with hungry people. Hmm. Don't delegate your responsibility. Don't delegate it. Can I tell you that one moment in his presence is better than a thousand elsewhere? Just one moment. I used to go home and we were we weren't broke. We didn't even we didn't have an we could we couldn't find broke. <laughs> I remember the day that I held my youngest daughter. Everybody tell me, oh yeah, you can get health care. They made us walk out, exited me to the door, and I carried this child. She's three. And, and, and I remember us going home, and she's bleeding out of both ears. They would not see her. Don't tell me they would. They did not. And I went home, held that child. I walked the floor with that child. Walked the floor with that child. That child would go, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord said, if you'll sing, I'll take care of it. I can't sing. I remember the Lord speaking to me and said, if you'll dance, I'll destroy the demon. Have you ever seen me dance? Recklessly abandoned for the presence of God. 